Welcome to Bible Study. This is Nick Rita, your host. Thank you for tuning in. It's our pleasure and privilege to welcome you to this program, Bible Study, where we look into the Bible, and today we are talking about be aware of covetousness. I believe this is a very uh, important uh, um, aspect, even knowing that it's in the Ten Commandments. We'll love to have your uh, attention for the whole hour. Please stay with us for this hour because we are uh, going to share on this um, aspect uh, uh, today. And I would like to say hello to our panel. I may start with uh, Denise. It's good to have you with us. Thank you, Nick. It's lovely to be here. Looking forward to this topic. And hello, uh, Ken. Thank you, Nick. It's a privilege to be here. And again, a really fascinating topic to look into today. Yeah, Lija, it's good to have you part of this program too. Yes, thank you. Glad to be here again. Will, thank you for joining us. Thank you. It's a privilege, uh, Nick. And Len, also, it's good to have you part of the panel. This is a very interesting subject we're dealing with today. And hello, listeners. Joe. It's good to have you part of the program, and uh, I'd like to thank you from the beginning for uh, putting uh, some extra time in preparing this program, this discussion, and you're going to facilitate today. Welcome to the program. Thank you, Nick. Uh, pleasure as always. And as I said, it's a very, um, I will say, interesting um, topic because I heard about this, and it may be true, and we may bring it through the discussion, that uh, covenant it's probably the first sin committed. And uh, we'll see if uh, that's what we bring out uh, of this discussion. But I would like you, Joe, to take us through. Please uh, just guide us into this discussion. Okay. Well, thank you. Today, our panel will be discussing the nature of covetousness and what the Bible has to say on the matter, how it does or doesn't affect our measure of happiness in life. Should we be wary of covetousness? Is it a motivator for progress and improvement or a symptom of something else? Some might go as far as to say that coveting is the scourge of the modern age, fear of missing out on something, or FOMO, as most people will know it, coveting other people's things, experiences, relationships, praise, youth, and so forth, coupled with a general dis dissatisfaction with one's own lot, lot in life. Jesus tells us in Luke 12:15, take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Now, we often equate the number of possessions with satisfaction, but Jesus says, beware, don't fall into that trap. Now, covetousness is not a word we often come across in common speech, or at least I, I, I don't hear it very often. Other words have taken its place. What does it mean to covet and how is it relevant to us in the modern age? Let's first begin with a prayer. Ken, would you lead us? Certainly. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for bringing us all together again today to look into your word. Today again, Heavenly Father, we have a very, very special topic that needs explaining, that needs expanding. We're so grateful, Heavenly Father, for this opportunity and pray that all those listening may be blessed with what they hear in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. The Bible is filled with stories of real people and their experiences, some good and some not so good. These stories are included in Scripture, not just to fill up space. 
but as object lessons chosen to teach us life lessons Mm -hmm. and demonstrate pitfalls which separate us from God. Today we will look at some stories from the Old Testament and the New, which involve people coveting, giving into covetousness, and the subsequent results. Were they happier for it? Are there implications for us? Firstly, what is covetousness and what does it mean to covet? I asked my my sons if they, you know, is covet, is jealousy and covet. I asked them, what what is it? What do people talk, say now? And I hadn't heard of this, but there's something called jelly. You're jelly of me. <laughs> Sounds funny to us, but, yeah, apparently that's the in lingo. It's one of those words that is not used as frequently as it once was. And I'd like, Den- Denise, if you could possibly start us off with a proper definition and and so forth and what other words carry a similar meaning. Is there a modern equivalent? And secondly, is it wrong to want something better for yourself and your family? And when does wanting become problematic? Okay, Joe. Well, I looked at various dictionary definitions um, for the word covet, and as you say, it's not a word that we hear very often these days. But the dictionary meaning, uh, I've put together a few, and it says it is a consuming desire for something that belongs to someone else, which can lead to doing them harm. It implies a strong intention or aim to achieve that desire. Now, some other words for coveting are to crave for something, to long for, to have an eye on it. Uh, it involves lusting after something or to set one's heart on something. I guess the modern equivalent, as you've already pointed out, is is FOMO or fear of missing out um, would be a modern expression of coveting, which leads to extreme dissatisfaction with one's life and what's happening in one's life. And this has a very detrimental effect on our physical and mental health. It can cause mood swings, loneliness and feelings of anxiety. So basically coveting involves greed. It's a very specific focused desire, consuming desire to have something which belongs to someone else, which can be an object or it can be a person. Now, the opposite of coveting is generosity. So it isn't wrong to want something better for ourselves, but it becomes a problem when when we want something at the expense of someone else. Uh, The idea that we won't be happy until we possess that object that we crave is a very dangerous one. And there's a saying that says desire leads to coveting and coveting leads to stealing. Mm, How true. So true. Now, this may surprise some, but the bad sort of coveting is classified as sin and is mentioned by name in the Ten Commandments. Nick, what does the Bible say about coveting? Would you please read Deuteronomy 5.21 and comment on it, please? Sure, Joe. Just as I said uh, a bit earlier, it's um, very interesting, you know, to look into the Bible and see how many times this word it's uh, it's brought up and also included in the Ten Commandments. But uh, in verse 21, chapter 5 in Deuteronomy, it's from uh, New Living Translation. You must not covet your neighbor's wife. You must not covet your neighbor's house or land, male or female servant, ox or donkey, or anything else that belong to your neighbor. Now, when you look at this passage, just uh, 
out of context, you may say, oh, yes, but uh, it doesn't mean that I, uh, I covet what my neighbor has, but I want to have what my neighbor has too, you know. But the context is, if you look into how Satan desired to get the position of God, and that's what I said a bit earlier, that well, this is the first sin committed, covetousness. And, uh, you know, he desired what belonged to God. We may never be able to get what some other people have, or sometimes it's not even good for us to have what other people possess, because that can drag us into some bad things. Let's put it this way. We are able to handle what we are able to handle, and God knows that. Sometimes we don't have riches, and that's why maybe I'm not rich, because maybe I'm, I will not be able to handle richness. And it's not good for me to cover that or to desire that I should be rich. I should be content with what I have. And I believe this is a, a important lesson for me. I'm not sure for you, my dear friend, listening today, how you'll uh, understand this uh, passage in the Bible. But as we continue today to, to look into the Bible, to understand a little bit more about this aspect, I'm pretty sure that uh, the Bible will uh, clarify a bit better, you know, some things which may help to change our perspective on life. Thank you. Len, you have a comment? Yes. Coveting is something that takes place in the mind. There's not really much outward that can be seen, whether a person is coveting or not. I do feel, though, that we need to qualify something here. Let's say I have an old wheelbarrow. It's it's just about had it. The tray's rusted out and so on. And my neighbour gets a nice new wheelbarrow. And I think to myself, well, my wheelbarrow's just about had it. And I like his. I'll go and buy one like that. Now, I don't regard that as actually coveting. It simply means that I see something uh, that will replace something that I have that's not good enough anymore, uh, and I go and buy it. However... If I say, oh, I'd like to have his wheelbarrow, I'll slip into his garden shed one night and I'll put mine there and take his. That's coveting and then, of course, stealing. Coveting is where you actually want something that somebody else has. It's their property and you want it. No, the, the Bible says that is a sin. If you want something like it, that's different. Thank you. I'd like to ask, um, why do you think it's so important to God that pe- his people don't covet? I mean, I guess that's a bit of a no-brainer, but someone who hasn't considered it, Nick? Yeah, uh, I was thinking of that uh, just before even you, you asked, uh, Joe. I believe it's very important that, and particularly God speaks about this, because was the first thing what happened and his experience with uh, Lucifer, and God wants to protect us, not to fall in any sort of uh, temptation. And uh, I, I believe this uh, covenant is not as much mentioned when you talk about the Ten Commandments like other commandments. You know, it's just like left aside a little bit there, because as Len said, it can be confused with this thing. Oh, is that 
I'm really desiring the goods of my neighbor or whatever it is, or is just something that I can have it myself anyway. But, you know, I look at my neighbor and I think it's very sensitive there because it involves much more than uh, just replacing a some goods or uh, when you talk about not to cover the, the wife of your neighbor i mean from a biblical perspective where it says when god you see it implies much more than what we think at, at the surface and that's what i believe god is very serious on covetousness because it can lead into much more trouble than we think yes of course it can uh, it actually can harm relationships and hurt people and um God is all about relationship, healthy relations, relationships and harmony. Not only is coveting mentioned in the Ten Commandments, but there's a warning given by Paul in the New Testament. Lydia, what does the Apostle Paul equate covetousness with? Can you please read Ephesians 5, 5 and comment? Yes, as I read, for this you know that no fornicator unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Here we observe that Paul equates covetousness with idolatry. So uh, many people who are practicing idolatry when they worship, that is, they dedicate their lives to something other than God, so something created rather than the creator. And um, um, I found out uh, in quite a few places in the Bible that covetousness is frequently listed with heinous sins that will keep one out of the kingdom of God. Um, there is another text in First Corinthians 6, verse 9, 9 and 10, and um, it says that, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived that neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. So we observe here that, as I said, is li- the covetousness is listed with heinous things and idolatry. Mm. Thank you very much. I guess God knows that if we remove him from his proper place and replace it with something else, that we actually jeopardize our own happiness and fulfillment and those of around those of us of others around us. Um, one example of where covetousness went viral is the heart of Lucifer. He was so thoroughly corrupted by it that he became known, you know, Satan and the devil. He went from, you know, Lucifer the morning star to Satan and the devil. This began a long time ago prior to the inception of this world, and it shows that it is possible to covet other things apart from what we can see and touch. The universe then was the perfect place where unfallen intelligent beings lived in one accord and there was no pain, no sadness, no want or despair, no decay, hatred or evil. In this pristine physical and spiritual state, a thought a thought, a single thought unfurled in the mind of Lucifer. What was this thought, Will? 
Can you read and comment um, on Isaiah 14, 12, and 15, and what lessons can we learn from this experience? Isaiah 14, verses 12 to 15, it says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? For thou hast said in thy heart, I will ascend unto heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. You know, though all his glory was from God, this mighty angel came to regard it as pertaining to himself. Now, just imagine a created being wanting to become greater than the one who created him. Lucifer coveted God's power. He aspired to his position and craved the glory due only to the Almighty. Though standing in the very presence of God, this covering angel allowed darkening thoughts to cloud his judgment and unfortunately feed his ego until his sense of self-importance was way out of balance or even reason. Since then it has become painfully clear that at the heart of every sin is self. And this focus on self, we we will find, lies at the very heart of coveting, coveting more and more. As I heard Len once say, me, myself, and I is the problem. Getting to dominate life's choices. In short, it's uh, self-worship, Joe. It's a weird kind of selfie. Well, like Len said, it starts in the mind and it started with a single thought and it grew and grew and jeopardized the good of the universe it demonstrates uh, i guess the the grossly corrosive nature of covetousness idolatry and the evil that it brings in its wake we'll move on to the story of achan now this story is in the old testament and it itself has another object lesson about coveting Ken, would you very briefly summarize the story of Achan based on Joshua 7? What had he coveted and what was the outcome? And what can we learn from this story for ourselves today? After about 40 years of wandering in the desert, the people of God were about to enter the promised land, but there were many obstacles in the way and many battles had to be fought to take the land. Now God had commanded the people not to take spoil from the cities that they had overcome. We read that they had destroyed the mighty city of Jericho with God's help and were moving on to the next conflict at A, which was a much smaller city where God again was to be with them. However, instead of overcoming the people of A, they were chased away and pursued for many miles with many losing their lives and others giving up the will to fight. Now when Joshua heard this, he was troubled and sought the Lord who told him that a family in the tribes had sinned against the Lord by taking gold and silver and other items from one of the cities they had overcome against what God had warned them not to do. So God told Joshua to bring the tribes before him next day and God would reveal the tribe, the family and the person who had sinned before God, causing God to turn away from the people until the sin was atoned for. So after going through the tribe of Judah, Achan was taken and Joshua asked him to confess his sin, which he did. 
telling Joshua all the plunder he had taken and hidden to keep for himself. Now God had told Joshua that the person concerned along with all his family and all his possessions, including what he had stolen, were to be destroyed. And all Israel took Achan to the valley of Ankor, where he was stoned along with his family, and all his possessions were burned to dust. I believe there are a number of lessons we should learn from this story. One being what God says he means. Another is God cannot tolerate sin in any form, and the wages of sin is death. We see here an example of someone who was thinking of himself only, not all his other brothers and sisters, which are in those days probably were quite a few million people. So one man brought the curse of God on himself and everybody else, and it cost him his life. Now, we also see that about Lucifer or Satan, thought he could overcome God and rule in his place because he coveted the worship that the heavenly host gave God, which led to the first war in heaven, which is still going on today between good and evil. Nick? Just a very quick comment uh, there. Do you see here the implication of um, a sin over one man? How much affected the whole community or the whole people? And if we compare that with Satan in heaven, a third of the angels were affected. And that's what it's important. God, it's very intentional in uh, putting before us the danger of covetousness because that affects the community. It's not only about you, me. It's not about just uh, my sin, that I'll commit a sin. That will have huge ramifications, like other sins too. But seems like that covetousness, uh, in this case with uh, the example of uh, what uh, Ken gave us, it affected the whole people and it had to be dealt in a very, very strong uh, manner. Yes, and, and one one thing that comes to my mind is that I don't believe Aiken went out that day intending to steal these things, to take them. I think he went out there like every other man, thinking that they were going to win a wonderful battle and all glory will be to God. But then when he saw something that caught his eye, you know, he thought, oh, no one's going to miss this. Isn't this beautiful? I've always wanted this Babylonish garment and this silver and gold. Well, you know, who's going to miss a couple of trinkets? And, um, you know, not when all this stuff's here. No one's going to miss it. And so it sort of shows that you can give in to covetousness slowly or quickly. You could be tempted and fall very easily, but also that you might think no one will know. And then, of course, we have this big you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Expose. He's exposed what he's done. And even when he's exposed, uh, it says in Patriarchs and Prophets that Achan's covetous was, covetousness was excited by the sight of that costly robe of Shinar. Even when it had brought him face to face with death, he still called it a goodly Babylonish garment. Like it, it's brought his death on. And he's, you know, he's going to die for it, but he still is enraptured with it. He doesn't see it for what it is, just a rag that's going to perish. Anyway, that's the, um, seductive and I suppose deceptive nature of covetousness that we value far, the value that we put on something far exceeds its actual value. I think we better move on though. <laughs> 
Our next story comes from new, the New Testament early church, and it's the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Now, Lynn, it's a big story. Can you please, please briefly outline what happened in this situation and what had they coveted? Were they bad people? And why were the consequences so drastic? Okay. Well, I want to tell a story before I tell the story. Uh, an incident occurred in our family that illustrates this quite well. I had a, a nephew who was slightly intellectually impaired, but he loved Christmas. Christmas was the big event of his life. The giving and receiving of gifts was really good. One year, he gave my wife and me a, a can of baked beans. Well, that was very practical. But another time, he gave us a box of Cadbury's chocolates and we opened the package. It felt quite light, actually, for a box of Cadbury's chocolates. And when we opened it up, there were three chocolates left inside. He'd eaten all the rest of them. And this is almost the same as what happened with Ananias and Sapphira. Uh, yes, you can laugh when you're ready. <laughs> In the early Christian church, there were many needy people. Because of the persecution of the Jews and the Jews were totally intolerant to Christians, so lots of people lost, lost their jobs and so on. So there were many needy people and what happened was those who had money or possessions, things they were willing to part with, would give them for the good of the church and food and clothing and stuff was given to those who needed it. Ananias and Sapphira were members of the church and they felt the call to give too. And they had a, a a block of land. I don't know how big it was. We're just told it in the Bible. It was a piece of land. And they decided to sell it. And they promised to give the proceeds, meaning the total proceeds, for the benefit of the church. The land was sold. Ananias came up to the Apostle Peter, who was in charge at this particular time, and he handed to him a bag of money. Now, I think the Holy Spirit must have revealed to Peter how much money they did get for the land. It was their land. They gave according to what they had. But the, the problem was they promised it all. And Peter knew that they had not given the total amount of money. Well, Peter said twice to Ananias, you've lied. You've lied to God. You've lied to the Holy Spirit. And at that, Ananias fell down dead. Three hours later, his wife, Sapphira, who didn't know what had happened, came along and she was asked the question, did you give all the money? Oh, yes. And uh, Peter then announced what happened to Ananias. And at that, she died. Now, some people have thought, this is grossly unfair. They gave a lot of money, although they kept some for themselves. Why was God so drastic with them? And I believe it's important, and I've seen this happen when there's an organization or somebody starting out in something, it's good to set the rules firmly. 
And I'm going to read this little quote from the book Acts of the Apostles, page 72 and 73. Infinite wisdom, that's God, saw that this signal manifestation of the wrath of God was necessary to guard the young church from becoming demoralized. Their numbers were rapidly increasing. The church would have been endangered if, in the rapid increase of converts, men and women who had been added, who, while professing to serve God, were worshipping mammon or money. This judgment testified that men, people, cannot deceive God, that he detects the hidden sin of the heart and that he will not be mocked. It was designed as a warning to the church to lead them to avoid pretense and hypocrisy and to beware of robbing God. So to set the rules early on is very good. And this sort of behavior, this covetous behavior of Ananias and Sapphira could not be tolerated within the early church. Besides, it was a sin. Yes, it needed to be nipped in the bud. That's the term. (laughs) Now, Will, did Ananias and Sapphira only covet the money or was there anything else going on here? Acts 5 verse 3 says, Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied, lied to the Holy Spirit, and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to just to human beings, but to God. Now, commenting on what Len has said, and may I say that um, there seems to be a lot more going on than just taking back money. Well, they, they lied, first of all, and they made it look as if they were giving everything. But the question is, is there something else going on behind, besides this selfishness? I think uh, personally, they saw that those who parted with their possessions among the Christians to supply the needs of their poorer brethren were held in high esteem among the believers and ashamed to have their brethren know that their selfish souls grudged that which they had solemnly dedicated to God, they deliberately decided to sell their property and pretend to give all the proceeds into the general fund, but um, really to keep a large share for themselves. And in this way, they secured their, they would secure their living from the common store that was to provide in the needs of the, of the Christians at the time. And at the same time, gain the high esteem of their brethren. So they, I, I don't know. I think they, it seems as if they not only lied, but they wanted to look good among their colleagues. And they sought the praise of others, didn't they? Nick? I think this, again, I'm uh, coming to the pretty much the same point, is that they disregarded God and his capacity of taking care 
of his people. In the case of uh, Achan and these guys, they didn't believe that God is able to take care of themselves in any aspect. You know, in those days, they lived, lived in uh, having things in common. They put all their properties and things together and uh, the disciples, you know, they, um, and the Bible says who had a lot, they didn't miss anything or who have little, they, they had enough too. I think here it's more than how we think about this covenant aspect. It's that we disregard God and his capacity of taking care of us in all aspects of life, even when we don't have some things which our neighbor has. And we may think, oh, if I will have those things, my life will be better or my life will be easier or my life will be, you know, we, we can add here. And we don't understand that God has a plan with each one of us to bless us abundantly and to be happy in life. Actually, we are uh, walking against the flow, to say so. When God has everything and we still want ourselves to secure ourselves, I think this is a discrepancy in regard to faithfulness. Mm. It, it shows that um, covetousness isn't just because of one thing or another, that is actually an umbrella of, of different things. It could, you know, and, and I guess it leads to sin like lying, wanting praise, coveting praise, not trusting God's providence, um, a whole host of things. And so, you, you know, we could spend an, another hour just talking about the different motivations of each story. And yet it is very complicated and, um, Yes, it's difficult. It's best not to, it's best to go to God and ask Him to take away any covetous thoughts. Um, I'll move on to our next story, which is about Judas. Now, his example is that, you know, a very tragic one. And one would say, well, surely it wasn't just the 30 pieces of silver he was coveting. What was he coveting? And how had he got himself into this situation? What led him to betray his Lord for such a small amount of money? Ken, can you shed some light on this? Well, Judas uh, was the treasurer of the group, as it tells us in the Bible, in uh, John 12, verses 4 to 6. He basically was a greedy, selfish man, which helps to explain why he was willing to sell the Lord for money. Money to Judas was a continual temptation, and from time to time, when he did a little service for Christ or devoted a little time to religious purposes, he paid himself out of the meager fund collected to advance the light of the gospel. He finally became so precarious that he made bitter complaint because the ointment poured upon the head of Jesus was expensive. He turned it over and over in his mind and counted the money that might have been placed in his hands to expand it, that ointment had been sold. His selfishness grew stronger until he felt that the treasury had really met a great loss in not receiving the value of the ointment used for that situation. He finally made open complaint to the extravagance of this expensive offering to Christ. Our Saviour rebuked him for his covetousness. This ranked in the heart of Judas until for a small sum of money he consented to betray the Lord. 
And as we know, he sold the Lord for 30 pieces of silver, which in those days was the price of an adult male slave. In John chapter 12 and verse 5, there's a little note with reference to Judas and what he said when Mary anointed Jesus' feet. So verse 6 says, He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. So Judas's covetousness had really gone beyond covetousness. He had become a thief. I was talking about this my wife, and we asked the question, what would Judas have spent that money on? So he had the money purse, but now and again he'd get something for himself. Well, if he bought new clothes, new shoes, something like that, it would have been noticed. If he bought food, that may be another thing. Or if he went down to the lolly shop and bought some lollies, not that there were lolly shops back then. So the question was, what would he have done with that money? We don't really know, but he used to uh, go into the money bag sometimes, the common purse, as it would be called, and get stuff for himself. His covetousness had gone a step beyond covetousness. It had become a habit. He was a habitual thief. Thank you. Almost every sin is somehow anchored in coveting something that isn't yours or mine to have. There are many more stories in the Bible where this is the case. Some which come to mind is King Ahab and Naboth's vineyard. The king was prepared to do anything to get this coveted piece of land, including killing David and his treatment of Uriah so that he could get Bathsheba, Gehazi running after Naaman, Eve coveting knowledge that would make her equal with God. There are so many more that come to mind. It certainly appears to be hardwired in the fallen human heart. If you or I covet and find a place for its expression, we are destined to break all the other nine commandments as well. Panel, is there a remedy? What would you say? What are some recommendations to help deal with coveting and covetousness? I think that um, relying on God is a really important part, and we know that temptation is a a thought that starts in our head, and if we if we cherish that, it leads to action. So there's a text in James 4, verse 7 to 8 that says, um, submit yourselves then to God, Resi- resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And Paul in Philippians um, 4, verse 12 to 13, talks about being content um, no matter what our situation. And we can only do that if we rely on God. So that's a decision that's an important one to make every day. From my experience, Probably many times it's happening in our minds uh, to come with this temptation, to face these temptations in different variations. But we have to reset our minds again, to bring our mind again aligned with God's principles, to ask God for forgiveness, to repent and uh, ask God and the Holy Spirit for guidance, to guide our minds in the right way and stay there connected with God because the devil comes in our minds so many times during different circumstances in our lives, trying to tempt us, trying to destroy our minds, our thoughts. 
So it's better to stay connected and reconnect with God. Yes, and I uh, I would like to also add that uh, it's uh, very important to have a connection, a relationship with God. I, I would suggest uh, through our, uh, you know, daily prayer. I mean, as we pray and as Jesus uh, taught us how to pray, which if we look in uh, in the book of uh, Matthew, it, it says that in the Lord's Prayer, and lead us not into temptation. I mean, it's not that God is leading us into temptation, you know, but it's to protect us to be tempted, but deliver us from evil, because the covenant will uh, bring all sorts of um, things, as we mentioned uh, so far. And he says, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. When feeling covetousness of something that you know you should not have, pray over it. Claiming promises in the Bible for victory, such as in First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, which says, no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape, that you may be able to bear it. was mentioned a bit earlier that uh, uh, this is uh, the thoughts level, you know, temptation, uh, covenant, it's, it's in the mind. And a little story came in my mind um, uh, when that was mentioned, that an illustration. We cannot stop the birds of the sky flying above our heads, but we can stop them making a nest on our head. We are currently talking about practical measures so that we don't fall into the trap of being covetous. And one of the very good recommendations is found in the longest chapter of the Bible, which is Psalm chapter 119. And from verse 11, it says this, it's addressing God, your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. You know, I think about what my mind is like. They say when you get older, you forget because your mind is so full of clutter that you've collected over the years that sometimes to find the right thing at the right time is difficult because you have to sort through the clutter. And I was thinking about the human mind. The verse says, Your word have I hidden in my heart. In other words, it's implanted there. And amidst all the thoughts and stuff that's in our mind, all the empty spots, the, the places, if you like, where we could be covetous about things need to be filled with the words of God's law. And later on, in verse 15 of Psalm 119, it says, I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. So here is a practical 
thing that you can, people can do to avoid covetousness, to meditate and reflect on the Word of God. I know that's uh, easy to say and probably harder to do at times. But when we are tempted to think, oh, I would like to have that, to consider God's Word and the principles outlined therein. So there's a very good practical thing that we can do to avoid falling into the trap of covetousness. I think another one too is gratitude. When feeling like we are missing out or uh, or others are doing better than we are and find yourself wishing it was you, what else should we do? Well, count your blessings. If you want to feel rich, just count all the great things you have, the money you can't buy. Every day you wake up is a miracle and a blessing. Your freedom, food, shelter, family, friends, and hope for the future, knowledge of God, knowing the future, and you can have peace. All right. Well, we're going on with this um, uh, practical things about how to avoid covetousness. Years ago, there was a child's children's song that they would sing in worship time sometimes. And one of the lines goes, Little eyes be careful. In other words, we need to filter what goes into our minds, especially through our eyes. I've seen down at the supermarket, not that I go to the supermarket too often. It's not a place I enjoy. But you know, right near the checkout, they've got stuff for impulse buying. And I've seen children standing there, and they're carrying on. They want that. Little eyes, be careful. If there's something that's bothering us, it's tempting us, better to turn away and look for something else. Don't dwell on those thoughts. We need to control our minds and filter what goes into them. There is a, another one that comes to mind, and that's something that Denise said, and that's generosity. I think perhaps a bit of an antidote to being covetous and greedy and self-centered and selfish is to splash out and be generous. So it's just a thought. Any final thoughts on the topic of covetousness? I think it's probably time to conclude. Yeah, my dear friend, today listening uh, to this discussion, this topic, you may be yourself aware of the fact that we live in a very consumeristic society. We are bombarded every day with uh, all sorts of advertisings and um, promotions and everything else there, uh, which may set up ourselves for this sort of things. Not to be happy with and content with what we have but to desire more than we even need. And God knows that we need. I believe this is a very important aspect to rather trust in God and talk to God to see what we need, not what we want. I think what Nick has said is absolutely true, Joe. It reminds us of a text in First Timothy 6, verses 6 to 10. It talks about content, being content with what you had, as Nick has just said. It says, now godliness with contentment is great gain. 
For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into the many foolish and harmful lusts that drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Vital truths in this this scripture, just to be content with what we've had and and if we aspire to greater things, to only do that to the honor and the glory of God. Mm, thank you. Covetousness and jealousy taint even the closest of relationships. They cast a shadow over even the happiest of occasions. How many friendships, partnerships have become casualties to jealousy and envy and ultimately separates us from God? There is no happy ending when we indulge in coveting or any sin for that matter. It has a flow-on effect that spreads like a malignant cancer. Today we've looked at how to avoid being taken down by coveting and jealousy. Prayer, Bible study, learning from other people's mistakes and experiences whenever possible, avoiding the temptation, i.e. David and Bathsheba, he needed to look away and go back inside. We might need to turn off social media, being grateful and being content rather than always looking to see if the grass is greener elsewhere. But the only true antidote to coveting and dissatisfaction is God. He can change our hearts and attitudes by renewing our minds. In Ezekiel, it tells us that God will give us a new heart and a new spirit will he put within us, and he will remove the heart of stone from our flesh and give us a heart of flesh rather than a stone. In Romans, it says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. We do not need to be on this merry-go-round of acquire and discard, give me more, more, more. Let God fill the vacuum in our needy hearts. And Lydia, would you like to close our study today with a prayer? Sure. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the richness of your word. Thank you for your presence and guidance in understanding through the examples of those who, because of the love of money or things, they pierced themselves and others through with many sorrows. Thank you for giving us the light in the understanding about covetousness and its danger and damage that produces. You warned us in the Ten Commandments and is listed with heinous sins that will keep one out of your kingdom. Father, you are so holy, pure, and kind, and we are so sinful. 
being exposed to sin, which is so extremely hideous, contagious, spreading its tentacles, imperceptible like a congruent. We can see that selfishness and the love of money are a significant description of the humanity in our days as we live, exactly as the Bible says. Father, please search our hearts through your Holy Spirit to be able to see our present state and to come to you in repentance. Help us to realize that one sin leads to another. Please work into our hearts through the power of your Holy Spirit the good desire of our hearts to be changed, to be aware, to watch and pray, to make a decision to serve and depend only on you, Father, to will to remain connected with you daily through prayerfully communion, to study your word and applying in our lives Avoid dwelling on the temptations, but running away from it. To heed your word in our hearts, that we might not sin against you. We want to honor you through a continual giving to starve covetousness to death, to take pleasure in being generous towards others, feeling content and happy and exalting your holy name through everything we do for you to find pleasure in the way we are, to grow spiritually and become holy as you, Father, are holy, as Jesus was our example. And in his wonderful name we prayed and we thank you, Father. Amen. 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 And thank you so much, everyone, for uh, your participation today and uh, yeah, that uh, uh, heartfelt <laughs> prayer um, there. Uh, Ligia, thank you for that. Yes, we probably need to be more conscious of what's going around in our life. We learn today of the dangers of uh, covetousness. Yes. And we are inviting you, my dear friend, uh, joining us uh, next time when we are going to learn a little bit more about giving back. We are very used to demand a sinful people. We just want to get things. We probably need to learn a little bit more from God, who is the one who knows how to give. Then we may be able to give back also. You know, God is the one who gives, gives, gives. We always demand and we want to get, get, get. 
I pray to God that you'll join us again next time because we are going to learn how important it is to give. We may have little, but we can give. And may God bless you in everything what you do and be spared for the many sins which can come along with covenantness. May God bless you and keep walking in the footsteps of Jesus.